Thursday, June 14th. Welcome to Market Fuller. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Motley Fool Pro and Motley Fool Options, Mr. Jeff Fisher and Brian Hinman. Gentlemen. Hey, Chris. How are you? Doing well, Chris. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Brian, I didn't mean to snub you just by giving Jeff the mister. It's Mr. Brian Hinman as well. Thank you. <laughs> not Mrs. Uh, not, not now, anyway. I'm not in the right costume for that. Uh, um, <laughs> we're going to wrap up the week with a round of undervalued, overvalued, overlooked. Um, let's start with the undervalued stocks first. Jeff, what do you got that's uh, that's on your radar that you think is undervalued? Yeah, so I think investors should consider Rockwood Holdings for their portfolio, see if it fits in. The ticker is ROC. It's not an exciting company. They sell specialty chemicals and coatings, things that will uh, coat the body of an airplane or the disc brakes on your car or um, uh Titanium dioxide they also sell, which goes into sunscreen, things like that. And they also have a lithium department. They're one of the largest lithium miners in the world with mines down in Chile. And lithium, of course, is going into all of our, our electronics batteries and also into electronic cars now. But what uh, Rockford what is good at, they're basically good at executing on what they say. They, they've said over the past three or four years they're going to decrease debt, increase cash flow, and EBITDA, and they've done it year after year to the point that just this week they started a 3% dividend. Really? Which they, they said last year and, and maybe the year before too that once they got their cash balance to a certain point and their debt level to a certain point, they would very, very seriously consider a, a meaningful dividend. And they got it there. They have more than $600 million on their balance sheet. And so they started this, this dividend now. At the same time, they are um, trading at about six times EBITDA where the average peer trades around nine times EBITDA. So they're frustrated by that. They want their valuation to go up accordingly, and we think with time it will. It's, it, it, this is a holding in Motley Fool Pro. We've owned it for about one year, and I own shares myself as well. Yeah, I was going to say, you look at the stock performance of this company, and I mean, to, you know, just listening to you describe the company, this is clearly one of those companies that the average consumer is not going to come in contact with. I mean, they're not knowingly. I mean, not knowingly. Yeah, they're in hundreds, thousands of products. They touch our, our even the packaging at the grocery store may have some of their compounds in it. So they're everywhere, but that's part of what's great. They sell to so many industries, and they're. Com- their competition is so diverse as well. You know, it's very spread. All right, definitely one to watch. Uh, Brian Hinman, what about you? What's your undervalued stock? Sure, I'm going to talk about Expeditors International of Washington, uh, ticker symbol EXPD. Uh, one of the worst named companies <laughs> that that is in existence, uh, but it's a really good business. I was going to say it's a very straightforward name. They are based <laughs> in Washington State. <laughs> there you go. They have international operations, and they are expediters. These are clever people. Yes. Yeah. Tells yeah. you a lot more than Rockwood Holdings. Yeah, yeah. Th- that is true. That is true. So the best way I can explain the business is to explain a, a common frustration that uh, many people have. Uh, when you go to the post office, right, you're, you're asked whether you want express priority, first class, standard, parcel post, uh, bound printed matter, signature confirmation, 5,000 things, right? Add international shipping, add customs, add the fact that your reputation is tied to getting a product that you manufactured to someone who's purchasing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it may have to travel on four different modes of transportation, you know, air, you know, boat, truck, train, all of these, right? That's an incredibly complicated process. And what uh, Expeditors does is it basically is a middleman that puts together all of those puzzle pieces mm-hmm. and takes a little bit 
you know, a little bit off the kitty there. I was going to say, I mean, similar to, you know, Rockwood Holdings, where the, the average person, you know, probably doesn't knowingly come into contact with it. I think for most people, FedEx, UPS, where, you know, if you're just trying to ship something from point A to point B, um, if you're dealing with those companies, you obviously know basically how it works. But, you know, when you look at the freight forwarders like uh, Expeditors International of Washington, um, there's so much going on behind the scenes that, that the average person doesn't even know about, probably probably doesn't even care about. But Yeah, the, the global transportation industry is absolutely enormous. And there are companies that uh, are fantastic, run little fantastic businesses uh, in a certain niche that you've never heard of. A, a competitor of Expeditors is UTI Worldwide. Uh, again, it operates a good business, uh, but I don't think it's as good as Expeditors. Uh, then you've got, you know, a company like Pacer International, which uh, which we own in Pro, which is a, again a little small segment uh, of that global transportation industry, uh, and they do their thing and they do it well. So why is it undervalued? Is it just the is it the overall global economy? Because we've talked in this room before about sort of the, the slowdown, particularly in China and, you know, Europe, we don't need to revisit that again. But is it that or is it, you know, is it that more people are looking to the names that they know, the you know, the UPS and the FedExes of the world? No, you, you, the, the first part of your comment was it. It's, uh, you know, this is an economically sensitive name. Uh, as the global economy goes and as global trade goes, trade volume goes and expeditors business goes. Uh, and, Expeditors has particular strength in uh, facilitating trade with China. And so everyone is concerned that, you know, Chinese growth is going to, you know, fall off a cliff from, you know, 8, 8% to 7% to 6%. Yep. Uh, and, you know, that sort of filters through the system and is, and is troubling. Um, but again, I encourage listeners to take a long-term view here. Uh, this is a premium company that always sells at a premium price. And it's economically sensitive, so there's going to be lots of wiggle to its results. But if you take the long view here and you look out 10 years, I'm willing to bet with a high degree of confidence that global trade with China and with other emerging you know, Eastern nations uh, is going to be higher than it is today, and Expeditors is fantastically positioned to play in that market. It is. Um, as Brian said, it's, it's volatile, uh, much like Rockwood Holdings. It's just interesting to note Expeditors was in the mid-30s in 2009 and rose all the way to 55 by the end of last year, and now it's back to the high 30s. So as as Brian said, it's all based on expectations largely for Asia but for the global economy. So it's it's almost cyclical in that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as John Deere rises and falls with the global GDP estimate, Expeditors yeah. can as well. And one more warning for investors who might look at this. The, C, uh, the, the company is run by... Pete Rose, but it's not the Pete Rose. It's not that Pete Rose. No, it's a different Pete Rose. <laughs> That's good to know because I could see where that would be a red flag for a lot of Poor people. Pete Rose. I mean, he gets a bad rap. Um, All those years of baseball, he didn't dope, did he? No, uh, he just no, did no, a little no, gambling. No. Charlie just Hussle? a little gambling. Forget no, about it. Just bet on just baseball. A little betting, and now he's, his name is Mud. Um, <laughs> Uh, last question on Expeditors International, Brian. When we see uh, industries sort of in, either in turmoil or under pressure, um, one of the things that can happen is that the smaller players sort of get shaken out, the bigger players that are more secure. So if we have this global slowdown, um, I can see the likes of, of the big players being in a safe place. Is Expeditors within the freight forwarding industry, you think it's 
strong enough to not get shaken out over Absolutely. So Expeditors is uh, the 800-pound gorilla or one of the 800-pound gorillas. Um, but you're absolutely right. That sort of uh, you know, acquiring happens to the weaker the weaker folk. Uh, UTI Worldwide does a lot of grows by acquisition. Expeditors has grown historically organically, okay. and it's made their operations much smoother. They've had fewer hiccups because of it. Uh, so I don't expect them to play in that game. But as far as the company itself, uh, it has you know twelve twelve and a half thirteen percent of its uh, value uh, in cash. Uh, and no debt. So it's remarkably healthy, and it is built to withstand uh, the wiggles that, you know, that, that are inevitable. And I think what Brian was going to say a moment ago is Pete Rose and his company do not play by Wall Street rules. They do not have conference calls. They don't provide guidance. And we like that. But yeah. Brian was going to let listeners know to be aware. They, they yes. play it a bit differently. They but. do, and, and they're extremely saucy. So there's <laughs> entertainment value as well. Saucy? Yeah, they in their... They don't speak with uh, analysts directly. Uh, they don't have conference calls, like Jeff said. But every once in a while, they'll put out a filing uh, that answers questions that they are frequently asked. And there's incredible entertainment value in reading those filings because they provide incredibly detailed but saucy answers. <laughs> They're not afraid to call your questions stupid and yes. things like that. We like that every now and then. Hmm. Um, let's move on to the overvalued stocks. Jeff Fisher, what do you got? Okay, I am just looking, starting to look at Garmin, which I know you all talked about it on the show a few days ago yep. due to Siri. Uh, Siri is not really my concern so much, though. It's simply the long-term, how it's all consolidating onto a phone. And this this is an obvious concern, but I will say I spoke to Jim Gillies, our friend and colleague from, our friend to the north. from Motley Fool Options. Yep. He does not believe Garmin is overvalued. He points to the more than $4 billion in cash, they pay a 4.5% yield. They trade at 15 times earnings, more or less. <clears throat> and uh, on the metrics, it's true. It doesn't look overvalued, but neither did Research in Motion. Now, on another hand, Garmin is no Research in Motion. RIM had basically a, a couple different phones. Garmin sells to Outdoor Fitness. They sell to Marine, the Marine uh, GPS industry, and Aviation, where they dominate. Yep. But still, about 62% of revenue is uh, in the automobile and mobile, which are the little dashboard-mounted uh, units. And, uh, of course, we know those are, are being threatened. My, my concern is that the outdoor fitness market, where they're very specialized and they, they design very high-tech gadgetry, but in the long run, is that at risk as well? So those are the concern, concerns I have that a major a majority of revenue is going to come under pressure because there may not need there may not be as much desire for in dashboard GPS right. anymore, let alone <laughs> atop your dashboard. That's just an invitation to break your window, basically, <laughs> yeah, in I've, the city. We've yeah. seen though over the last couple of years people lumping Garmin in with research in motion and predicting the company's demise, just sort of like, hey, look, this is, this is a foregone conclusion. This, mm. uh, I've got my iPhone. I've got you know, Google Maps. I don't need a GPS in my car. And yet, over the last year, Garmin stock has handily beaten the market. It really has. That's so, what, what, so I guess my question is, those people who are sort of bidding up the stock over the last year, what do they see? What do they see? In, or, think, or what does Jim Gillies see in their future? <laughs> well, for, for several years, it was beaten down and, and looked very inexpensive. And people realized, kind of like GameStop, not to have too many, not to wander into too many names right now, but uh, 
what people feared is not happening yet, but I think there's a, a chance that revenue could continue to slowly yeah. drain lower. To, to play devil's advocate here, I, well, first of all, I completely agree with Jeff that you know revenue is in trouble here. But the company's position in the marine and aviation uh, is, in, is dominant and makes up a decent amount of profits. So while investors may see revenue uh, getting whacked pretty hard, uh, profits might hold up better than expected. And as to why the, the company may have been out, outperforming, uh, I think those people that you said that are buying the stock, uh, a lot of those people are Garmin's management. And the ticker symbol? Uh, Garmin is G-R-M-N. And once again, I will say to fools, let's, uh, to use a, a, a phrase I don't like, let's circle back on this one. <laughs> I've just started to look at it. and Maybe next time Jim Gillies comes down from the Great White North, we'll get the two of yeah, you in here. A we'll battle royale. A battle royale. And that's soon. That's next month he's coming down. So we can look forward to that. But it'll be interesting to see if Garmin can navigate their, well, geez, oh. navigate their way out of this and not end up like Rim. Oh, let's just finish. I did not plan yeah, that one. Cut I didn't off. plan it. After I that, plan it. Brian Hinman, what's your overvalued stock? Sure. I'm going to give you uh, a group here. This also comes with a circle back warning. Okay. Um, I'm not, I wouldn't necessarily bet against these guys, but I would probably stay away from them. The group is dollar stores in general. Um, the two that stick out to me are Dollar General, DG, and Family Dollar, FDO. Combined, uh, these guys uh, have about 17,000 locations. And you know the stores, you know, they tend to be in lower economic areas. Mm -hmm. They sell, you know, foodstuffs as well as tchotchkes. Um, And many of those items are pegged to a certain price, not necessarily a dollar only. um, But their entire purpose, you know, for existing is that they are, you know, in towns where other larger retailers uh, can't justify a presence necessarily. And... They have very, very uh, low-cost merchandise. Uh, anyway, so the 17,000 locations, and there are a ton of competitors here. Uh, Fred Stores, Big Lots, Dollar Tree, uh, as well as Walmart, Target, CVS, Walgreens, these types of stores. right? So competition is incredible. And I think that there's been uh, a sort of a perfect storm from a macro standpoint for these stores to perform really well, uh, to grow their store base, and to have an incredible stock performance. That has happened, right? But now all of these companies are incredibly confident about their futures, and all of the competition in the space think that they can double their store count, right? I just think that there aren't that many, there might not be that many great locations left. And the locations that, that are left are going to be a heck of a lot closer to a Walmart or a Target or someone who, if they really, really tried, could squash them. Let's move on to the overlooked, and and this is where you know the guys come to the table with sort of stories that aren't really being covered in a significant way. Certainly this week, Jamie Dimon going to Capitol Hill, the Worldwide Developers Conference for Apple. Those were sucking up a lot of the uh, oxygen. Uh, Jeff, what's an overlooked story you think investors might benefit from hearing about? So as everything in in Spain and Europe kind of boils over, it has me reflecting back to the last four years, back to 2008. And in that vein, I haven't heard that much about how well or how poorly hedge funds have done Mm -hmm. during this whole crisis. I mean, we've had extreme volatility since 2008 in both directions. And you would think these high-priced hedge funds would do, do well in that sort of environment. But the fact is they're not. They're not doing well really at all. 
According to hedgefundresearch.com, which has been around since 1992, and they've created all kinds of hedge fund indexes. First of all, listeners know it's hard to get returns from hedge funds. They're, they're private. But this company, this research company, gathers them all up, puts them into indexes. The absolute returns hedge fund index was down in 2009, down in 2010, down in 2011. So these hedge funds that are devoted to absolute returns have lost money during this huge run-up in the stock market. I was just going to say, how do they... <laughs> How do they miss on a bull run like that when the average person can simply just buy a, an S&P 500 index fund and, and pay and match, you know, and very low fees? Pay, and what, yeah, very right. low fees, match the market's return. How are these professionals I whiffing mean, like this? Literally, it may come down to Buffett's words about temperament and, and inactivity being better than activity in a lot of ways. Because, of course, hedge funds are very active. They're, they're make, placing bets for the next month or two, yep. long, short. And when you have a... a seesaw market like this, if you're on the wrong side of something, let alone with leverage, that can, that can ruin your month. Another little bit of news is, is how many hedge funds are closing. And so then you have, as you do with mutual funds, you have the survivorship bias. So the returns that we see are actually better than, than they actually are because so many things have failed. Of course, that's true for the S&P 500 too. So many companies fall out of it. But uh, a little news today that I found uh, interesting or, or maybe, I don't want to say amusing. No, I won't say amusing. But hedge fund manager Paul Sinclair out in California closed his hedge fund just yesterday, $500 million healthcare hedge fund. He said he just he can't figure out what's going on in Greece, the Spanish banking system, the ECB. He, he doesn't have an edge. He just said he quits and he's taking his ball home. Yeah. He did. That's, that's what it sounds like. And he said, the quote is that investing in health care since 2004 has left him, quote, physically and mentally exhausted. And I just, the, wow. the irony, the dichotomy of that. <laughs> that's positive for the healthcare <laughs> industry, isn't it? And so he, he's shutting down. He's going, to, he's going to take a break and, and sleep over the summer. This is reported in, in Bloomberg today. But he is one of many high-profile hedge funds that have closed down lately because they can't they can't make their way. So the question is, are hedge funds too active for their own good? Uh, Brian Hinman, to wrap up, what's your overlooked story? Sure thing. Uh, so mine is light and breezy here, but it just seems to me that uh, consumer taste bubbles and consumer, uh, consumer tastes have been changing really, really rapidly lately. And, you know, I think historically, I remember there was a while there where a strawberry kiwi was all the rage. It was the flavor of everything. And then all of a sudden it is gone and you can find strawberry kiwi nowhere. But strawberry kiwi is delicious nonetheless, right? So, you sound like a bitter customer. <laughs> bring the strawberry kiwi back. This is like my platform for... Stalking 7-Elevens <laughs> around the country. Where the hell is my strawberry <laughs> kiwi Start drink? a new podcast devoted to strawberry kiwi. Right. So, so to bring it more, more recent, you know, you, you, there was this huge boom of cupcake shops. Sure. Right? All of a sudden... On every corner, there was a. a At least here, shop. is that is that nationwide? I think we, it's did nationwide. we have an IPO? We yes, did. it was a, a called Crumbs Bake Shop. Yeah, that IPO is not working out so well. You should <laughs> check out the t- the stock. It's uh, ticker symbol CRMB. Uh, it's not worth very much these days. Uh, anyway, so it got me thinking as to uh, you know what is sort of going on now, and it seems like the craze now is frozen yogurt. Uh, so what could be next? I fear that uh, hamburger chains. As much as I hate to say it. There seem to be a lot of gourmet hamburger chains popping up all over the place. Um, the point is, as investors, uh, 
we tend to uh, get caught up in what's new and exciting. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to get caught up in this. But when you're investing in a consumer-centric business, uh, you need to figure out whether or not the company's product, the company's brand will resonate and last you know, for, for decades on end in order to have investment success. Otherwise, uh, you're just subscribing to the greater fool theory. You're going to buy something that you hope you can sell to someone else who's more foolish with a lowercase f later on down the road. I agree with that, but if Five Guys goes public, I'm, I, I may have to buy a few shirts. <laughs> uh, Brian Hinman, Jeff Fisher. Guys, thanks so much for wrapping up the week. Thank you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Monday.